In a tight spot or faced with great difficulty today? Here's a thought from Pastor Ed Taylor. Today, perhaps God is allowing that difficult decision to teach you. Perhaps your marriage is struggling for a while that is actually in God's plan. Perhaps that layoff is being used to build you up. Perhaps your singleness is all a part of the the plan that God wants to use you and wants you to be. Perhaps it's that open door of faith to trust in Jesus who's promised to never leave or forsake you. But when you're backed into a corner, when circumstances have you in a tight place, Daniel, he's calm, he he exercises his faith, and he prays. Consider that. This is amazing grace. Great to be with you and welcome again to Abounding Grace. We're in a study of Daniel right now, which speaks volumes to us and where we're at right now. Like Daniel, many of us are facing great difficulty or an impossibility. Maybe it's the loss of a job or business or you're in a hospital bed. How should we respond? We'll learn an excellent three-pronged approach modeled by Daniel. He remains calm, exercises faith, and prays. Keep in mind, Daniel does this in the midst of a death sentence. Let's hear more about that as we join Pastor Ed Taylor. You know, every year, the birds come back to my house. Every year. I don't care what I do. I bleach everything. I put a sign, you're not welcome, no solicitation. I talk to the birds at the curb. You're not welcome here. Get out. I throw football on my roof. I don't hit the birds just in case. And it's not against the law to throw football on my roof. But I throw a football on the roof to scare them away. And they just look at me like, this is my house. <laughs> and they harass me. And they, they come back every year. I don't know why they've chosen my house in my neighborhood. But I can tell you this. Those birds, they come back fatter every year. <laughs> Somewhere they're getting their food. Somewhere they're being taken care of. Some, somewhere, somewhere birds, you know, and, and birds, they just kind of take up residence. They make all their nests. They got all their food and they don't pay the rent on my house. They're not writing a check, but they own the place and they'll find, they'll burrow into place. I didn't even know where they, they were there and I'll be walking out to take out the trash and I know the birds showed up because the sidewalk where my trash is, is filled with the bird stuff. And I'm like, what are they doing? They don't even clean up their mess. Because Jesus would remind us, because you know the birds come back to your house too, and your neighborhood and your trees around the springtime. It's actually kind of cool, because when you start to hear the birds singing, you know winter is gone. Because they're smart enough not to be around during the winter. I don't know where they go in the winter, but they're smart enough to take off. And, and I remind, Jesus would just take the norm. This is how practical Jesus is. Simple. He would just look at the birds. You go, you see the birds? I mean, you could come out and see the birds, the ones that are, see them. They have a father in heaven that takes care of them. And aren't you much more valuable? Listen, aren't you much more valuable than birds? Aren't you so much more valuable than the birds of the air? 
How much more will your Father in heaven take care of you? Take care of all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Make sure that you're fed. Make sure that, yeah, yeah, maybe it's not what you want. Maybe you're not eating the food that you want or you're not living with the roof over your head that you wanted. Maybe you're not driving the car you dreamed of. Maybe, maybe the numbers in your bank account don't measure up to what you thought they were. But the Lord's still faithful. He takes care of you. Maybe you've gotten caught up in the American dream and you've forgotten about the, sur- the surrendered life of the believer in Jesus Christ. That the American dream is just an illusion. That in your dreams, you want to be dreaming about the Lord and the goodness of God in your life. Remembering that he's on the throne. He remains calm. Number two, he exercises his faith. Daniel does in verse 16. He went at once to see the king, but here's his faith. He requested more time. He's got a death sentence on his head. He's been found by Arioch, and some people, some of the translations would say Arioch is the chief executioner, not just the captain, but the chief executioner. And what does he do? He steps out in faith. But how did he get such faith in the midst of death, in the midst of a, of a death sentence? Well, it started way back when they put food on the table. It started back when, remember, come back in the beginning. Turn back to the beginning in chapter 1, where we find that as they're taking to, as they're taking, taken captive and all the food was set before them. Remember verse 8? In verse 8 in chapter 1, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Or in the New King James, it says what? He purposed in his heart. Faith leads to purpose, and purpose leads to faith. It always starts with faith. And faith grows by obedience. We have it backwards. We think somehow if we obey, then we'll have more faith. No, it starts with faith, because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so it starts with faith. It starts with trusting God. You look at this situation, and you go, this isn't good, this isn't, but I trust God with my life. And then it's followed with a test. And that test is met with, no, I'm not going to eat this food. I'll, I'll die. I'll die right here on the spot. I'm not eating. Would you please let me? And then he, he arranged that, hey, we'll just be vegetarians. And if, you know, if God's not in it, then we'll just see what it is. But if God's in it, then I won't have to defile myself. And now, how would he know? How would he know about this dream? How would he know that he's going to face death? How would he know? He wouldn't know. And that's why God's training us to be faithful with the little things. That's why the Bible says not to despise the days of small things, but to be faithful with what's before us. Some of you are waiting for great, big, grand plans to unfold in your life. You're wondering why God hasn't done this yet and why God hasn't done that. And you, you have a missionary. I, I, one of the reasons we want you not just to support missionaries, but the reason why we give so much time to missionaries here is because we want you to be one. So you're here and you go missionary, but some of you are not so excited. You're like, oh, I want to be a missionary. Poor me. I'm never going to be a missionary. Why do they get to be missionaries? And it's just a battle you have. I'm not judging you. It's just the reality. Instead of being happy with them, you're kind of looking at your own life and go, woe is me and why don't I have? And, and, look at, and, and, and you're wondering, well, why isn't God doing this big, great work in my life? Well, because you haven't done what he's told you to do, right? Just in front of you. And you say, Ed, well, what has he told me to do? I don't know, but you know. And you can't sidestep the small things to get to the big things because big things really in the kingdom of God are just a series of small things built up, faith upon faith, 
grace upon grace. Daniel encouraged me. He was calm, but he also exercised faith. He put his faith on the line. He went and asked for time so he could interpret the dream. He's not known as the dream interpreter. That, that's not his title. This is the first time it's even mentioned, but he asked for help. He asked for time. He actually persuades the executioner to give him a little bit more time. Do you think God was behind that? <laughs> I don't know what it is. There's a soft time in the executioner's heart. Sure, I'll give you a little extra time. What was he thinking here? He didn't have the answer. But really, what did he have to lose? If he failed and God didn't give him the answer, he'd die and he'd be in the presence of God. So what did he have to lose? The fear of man is so, so ugly. It's just something that, you know, the fear of man, the show partiality to men. I, I recently saw it come up in my life. And, you know, it had gone away for so long after the loss of my son. And, and I just stopped caring about those things. You know, I just stopped. My, my life was almost like in survival mode. And I just was desperate for God. And now as God's bringing healing in my life and I'm getting a little bit stronger, man, I saw this glimpse of the flesh in my life where I had a real genuine second thought of fearing man. And not just fearing man, like, but in but wanting to impress, or what if I say this? Like, like, it's just a weird thing that goes on in our lives. And I'm grateful now that I have perspective in my life where I already had made the decision. I had already made the decision, and then a couple things happen, and in my mind, I'm like, I don't know, maybe I should make a different decision. Anybody, is it, are you guys all just judging me right now? Like, did anybody <laughs> ever have something like that? Or you made a decision, but then you're like, I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure. Like, well, what about this? And how about this happens? It's like, no. God's already spoken. And God was just showing me, Ed, man, there's a lot of flesh in your life. You haven't conquered that. You haven't conquered it. You're going to see it many times in your life. So just stay close to me. Because whenever you're abiding in Christ, you are living the conquered life. Do you know that? In Christ, you have conquered sin and death. In Christ, you've conquered the fear of man. In Christ, you've conquered this desire to impress. In Christ, you are well-pleasing to God. It's the place to be. And so even it was just a brief moment. What I just described to you, I took more time to describe it than what I felt. It happened that fast. I'm like, no. No, this is what God wants me to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And the chips are on the table. This is the word that God wants me to share. It was actually a Bible study to deliver. That's what it was. God gave me a Bible study to deliver. And for a brief second, I, I almost decided a different study. Imagine that. No, we want the word of God in our lives and we want to do and to do exactly what he tells us to do. That's where Daniel is. He inspires me. Like, what has he got to lose? What do I have to lose? Remember, Jesus said, don't fear man that can only kill the body. Don't, don't have that kind of fear. That's the worst that they can do to you. But fear God who can take the body and soul. Live with a healthy fear of God and that'll build your faith. And here this, in this man of great faith, he's not trusting God for a blessing. He's not trusting God for a hundredfold return. He's trusting God with his very life and his very breath and his very being. He's in that level. And he encourages me. Notice now verse 17. We'll get to the third one. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. And he urged them to ask God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. And that night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And that's how fast God can work. What does he do? He goes back and calls a prayer meeting. And he says, I need help. 
My life is on the line. Let's ask God to reveal what the dream means. And he prays, which is number three. Simple enough, but prayer is so often neglected. I mean, we, even our time of prayer here as we gather together as a church can be so, become so routine, so ritualistic, where some of you don't even pray in 10 minutes anymore. You just endure the 10 minutes so you can get to the Bible study. But God does more in 10 minutes of prayer than he can in 45 minutes of Bible study. We need to press in, church, not, wave, not fall back. We need to lean into the things of God. And you have a big burden today. It's not a Bible study that's going to solve it. It's not a worship song that's going to solve it. It is the God of heaven that you meet in prayer. He'll solve your problem. But if you pull back and you're just looking at how you will be self-satisfied, because I love Bible study just like you do, but I need to love God more than Bible study. And I love prayer more than, more just like you do, but, but I need to love the God of prayer more than I love prayer. That God, he's rearranging and recalibrating our church family to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And he prays, and he gets his friend praying. That's real fellowship. Real fellowship surrounds him talking about the things of God together. That's true koinonia. Sharing one another's burdens. You know, in the buzzwords of the church today, it's all about community and all. Listen, community is connecting with other people. You don't need a ministry to have community. There's no such thing as a ministry of community. You're in Christ. You're sitting next to somebody. You're in community. And you go, well, Ed, I'm on the radio. I'm all by myself in the car. Well, when you get out of the car, go find somebody. You're in community. You're in people or people or community. It doesn't need to be a buzzword. Just talk about the Lord with people. You're instantly in fellowship. And you come together and pray. And God, come through. I'm a dead man. I need to know what's happening. This is an open door. Daniel didn't rush in with presumption. Perhaps God wanted him to die. Perhaps. Perhaps he wanted to deliver him. But he doesn't know. So he prayed. There are many times in our lives that we're faced with a perhaps. For example, Onesimus was the runaway slave in Philemon. And he was going to return to Philemon. And Paul writes to him in the book of Philemon, chapter 15. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave. For he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he'll mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Now Onesimus wouldn't have been able to tell this, but perhaps he ran away in order to get saved and become more valuable to to Onesimus. Philemon would become more valuable. Onesimus would become more valuable to Philemon. Now, we can hang on that word some of the most difficult things we're facing. Perhaps God's working something far greater, out in, our, far greater in our lives. Perhaps there's something I need to learn about myself, about others, something I need to glean. Perhaps there's something I, I have that God wants me to give away. Onesimus, he left Rome. He left for Rome as a slave, but he returns as a brother. Philemon, he loses a servant, but he's going to gain an eternal friend. And today, perhaps God is allowing that difficult decision to teach you. Perhaps your marriage is struggling for a while that is actually in God's plan. Perhaps that layoff is being used to build you up. Perhaps your singleness is all a part of the plan that God wants to use you and wants you to be. Perhaps it's that open door of faith to trust in Jesus who's promised to never leave or forsake you. But when you're backed into a corner... When circumstances have you in a tight place, Daniel, he's calm, he, re he exercises his faith, and he prays. Consider that. And notice, 
as we close in verse 20. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he's surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength, and you've told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. You know, verses 20, 21, 22, and 23 would never exist had Daniel not experienced great... He still doesn't even know if he's going to be alive. But he trusts God. Remember, we read the book of Daniel, we know the whole story. Daniel doesn't know the whole story of his life yet. He's just walking moment by moment by faith. And he has the insight, and he believes God from the insight. He says, this has got to be from God. And after he reveals the dream, he doesn't take credit for it, but he gives God the glory. Not only does he praise him, but he offers up a song of thanksgiving. Calm and confidence, faith and prayer leads to praise. And I guess you can add number four when, if you want to add number four, when faced with great difficulty, after you pray, you praise. You just rejoice. Too often we have it backwards. Let's try to please the king and do what we can do to make people happy, but we miss it completely. God specializes in miracles and impossibilities. He is the God of miracles. You might be in a jam right now just so you can learn this truth firsthand, so you can see your own flesh, what other people see in your life. But God wants to show you personally. That's your flesh life. It needs to die. You need to crucify that. You can't nurture it. You can't coddle it. You can't, even if people around you help make excuses for you, you will never live that deeper life of faith until you kill the flesh. There's no good thing that dwells in my flesh. The fear of man, when I come into the pulpit, can never take root in my heart, or I will no longer be a man of God. I'll be a man of Ed, and that will be a disaster. And I wonder what it is that God's teaching you to be a man or a woman of God and not a man or a woman that fears man more than they fear God because you're faced with an impossibility, because it's out of your control, because it's life-threatening and it's devastating and it's crushing you. Maybe it's not so serious. Just something happened you didn't like, you didn't think it was right and, and now, like, what's God showing you? So that you might grow in his grace that you might become the man, the woman that God wants you to be. Some of you have never trusted this way before, ever. You're struggling with issues in life and yet you don't know what to do. You have no savior. You have no savior. You've got religion. You've got church attendance. You've got a brand new Bible, but you've got no Jesus. <laughs> you don't know him personally. You've never surrendered your life to him. You never asked him to forgive you of your sins by acknowledging what a sinful person you are, that you sin against a holy and a righteous God. Like God is, God is in the business of saving souls. We've got to look at this. I, wanted you to, I want you to see it. Turn over to Luke chapter six, and this is where we'll close. I've just been meditating on this, and, and then I see it in, this, in, in the context of this. You know, I prepared this message a couple weeks ago, and I was looking at it again today, and just refreshing it in my mind and my heart. Go over to Luke chapter 6 because so often we're just in these situations where some of you are still not convinced that God works the impossible. And all that's waiting for you is for you to believe him. For you to believe him. Notice in verse 6 of chapter 6. 
It's one of those episodes in the life of Jesus where he meets this guy with the withered hand. And on another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in a synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Listen, you're in church leadership here. You serve somewhere in this church. You're listening. You're a pastor somewhere. You can become like this, where Jesus is in your midst, and you're only looking for ways to accuse. Can you imagine? Jesus is in their midst, and they're watching him carefully. Why? Because they want to find a mistake in his life so they can accuse him. On a side note, I just know people walk in and out of this church wanting to find wrong things with it so they never have to come back. It doesn't take long to find wrong things in a church. So I'll just let you off the hook. There are a lot of wrong things here, both things that are seen and not seen. And the only time we'll ever be without wrong and without sin is when we're in the presence of the Lord. So welcome to the club. You're part of the wrong. You're, you've got sin in your life too. And, and you're going to, it doesn't take long. You go, well, I wonder if this is a church for us. I don't know if it's a church for you, but if you find something to accuse us of, you'll find it. And then what will that lead your life? But if you find a place to go, and I think God called me here. I'm going to plant myself down. I'm going to go through it with the long haul. Hey man, welcome. That's how we got here. God is doing a great work. And don't just walk around looking how to accuse people, pointing out people's faults. You become like a Pharisee. You don't want to be that. You want to be in the midst of Jesus and like, oh, they plan to accuse him. They were already planning it. No, it's verse 8. No, Jesus knew their thoughts. And so he said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. I think so many things are just so easy. So easy to do. For him, this was where it is. Come and stand in front of everyone. Come over here. And it says, so the man came forward. Was that a miracle? It wasn't a miracle. Because a lot of the things that the Lord calls us to do don't require a miracle. <laughs> That's just, Jesus knows what he's doing here. And this guy doesn't know yet that his hand's going to be healed. All he was told is get up and come over here. So what did he do? He got up and he came over. That's how Daniel's living his life. But it doesn't end there. So the man came forward, verse 9. Then Jesus said to his critics. So the guy's standing there, but now he's talking to the critics. I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? And he looked around at them one by one and said to them, so, said to the man, hold out your hand. Okay, let's ask the question. Is this possible for the man to do? In his own strength, is it possible for the man to do? No, he can't. He can't do this. And he's been like this for a long time. He meets Jesus. He's in the midst of the critics. By the way, the, the religious rulers don't care about this guy. That's what happens when you become a judgmental, accusing Pharisee. You don't care about people anymore. So they don't even care about him. And as they're there, as he's there, he says, I want you to hold out your hand. And then it, not even a breath as you're reading this. If you were doing this for your devotions, you wouldn't even take a breath. You would say, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And we learned something here. I know it's simple and it's a reminder for many of you. But it's important to realize, especially those of you that are on the verge of faith right now, the commands of God, the divine commands of God come with the divine enablement to obey. That bears repeating. The divine commands of God come with the divine enablement to obey. We'll leave you to think that over as we draw today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor to a close. We're making our way through Daniel one verse at a time. 
Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. Also, look for our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Tom Doyle called Standing in the Fire. As followers of Christ, we need to know what it means to stand courageously for our faith in a climate of fear. In Standing in the Fire, you'll read about those who did stand strong rather than run away in the face of overwhelming danger. I know you'll be encouraged. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And as we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we'd appreciate your support. People need the truth of God's Word in difficult times like these. And with your help, we're able to provide it to them. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or again, call 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 